0: Welcome to TPQ20, where we go beyond the page with poets about passions, process, pitfalls, and poetry. I'm Courtney Margolin, And I'm Chris Margolin. Let's expand the conversation.
1: Hi, Chris. How are you? Hey, I'm doing all right, Sarah. How are you doing? Good. Nice to meet you. So, um, well,
0: welcome to TPQ20. Sarah, if you were going to introduce okay. yourself to people, what would you say?
1: Oh, at first I would say my name is Sarah. I have an H at the end. I spell my name the right way. Well, if I wanted to take the professional bio route, I would say, (laughs) you know, I'm a poet and x-ray technologist from New Jersey. I'm an assistant features editor. One of the assistant features editors for The Rumpus and I'm an associate editor for South Florida Poetry Journal. I just recently came off the heels of attending the Tin House Workshop, which was incredible. But, you know, just under like regular circumstances, I would just say my name is Sarah with an H. I spell it the right way. I'm an x-ray tech. I love food. I like to read. I love Star Wars. I like to go for walks. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. um, you know, just, just like basic stuff. I love trivia. I Very love cool. useless information. Are you a, or I guess pre
0: COVID, were you a bar trivia person?
1: Oh Yes. Yes. Me and my posse, like me and yeah, like four of my friends, we would go to the local bar, actually like down the street from, because I recently moved to this apartment, but the bar we used to go to pre-COVID is like down the street from where I live now. And we'd have like burgers and snacks and do trivia. It was awesome. Sweet. All
0: right. So what are your main passions when it comes to the world of poetry and literature? What are your main passions?
1: In the world of poetry and literature, I would say I'm passionate when other poets and writers lean into their passions. Because I think that's what makes for compelling work to read and to edit and to experience is when people are leaning into their own passions. It's interesting because when you ask the question, like, how would you introduce yourself to people? (laughs) I feel this way. And I don't know if other people kind of feel this way too. Like, I think I'm like rather boring. I don't think I'm that interesting. So I always derive benefit from when there are act- like there are people who are way more interesting than I am. At least I perceive them as way more in- interesting than I am. And I can sit and read their work and learn something new. That's kind yeah. of the meandering answer to that question. I'm also passionate in the world of literature, new voices. And I'm also really passionate when people sidestep from their regular medium for writing. So I think it's really awesome when poets pivot to nonfiction, I think it's also really cool when poets pivot to fiction and to novels. That is really exciting to me.
0: Is there somebody that you would point to to kind of for us to look out for?
1: Yes. So (laughs) plug Destiny Birdsong, who was my workshop leader at Tin House. Uh, She's a poet, but her first novel, Nobody's Magic, is dropping in February 2022. She read an excerpt of it during Tin House at one of the um, faculty readings, and it was incredible. So look out for that.
0: Very cool. How about outside of the world of literature and poetry? Mm-hmm. What? Are, yeah, I know you like to take long so walks. Good. Um, so you know, good. I know that you love living in the world of COVID so much, but what are your passions outside of the world of literature?
1: So interesting. So my first passion was not poetry, wasn't writing, it wasn't literature. My first passion was actually music. So when I was in elementary school, you know, as many elementary school kids do, they pick up an instrument. I picked up viola. I happen to enjoy the viola. For the for folks who don't know what a viola is, you have violin, you have cello. Viola is this very liminal, wonderful space <laughs> in the orchestra. There's, uh, it was usually only like one or two kids playing viola, and I, we always I thought was, we were like the cool I kids. I was the
0: viola kid. I, I picked no, up,
1: get out of here. I
0: was the kid in third grade who was uh, who they said want to play. <laughs> they handed me a viola, so it kindred spirit.
1: <laughs> wow. <laughs> The universe, <laughs> synchronicity. I love it. <laughs> That's, what are the odds, Chris? Right? That's awesome. Nobody
0: plays viola.
1: Nobody plays viola. Nobody plays, well, we do. We did.
0: Yeah, we did. I, I can't, claim, I've got the banjo on the wall behind me. I can't claim viola anymore though, Yeah.
1: So. Yeah. So I played viola. I enjoyed it. I had to stop. And then when i was 12 i started playing guitar and i've been playing guitar since i was 12. i really thought that music was going to be a career path so when i was in high school you know i took the theory courses and with guitar i my concentration was in jazz so i was like really hardcore into it my i would say my abilities probably peaked but when i was like 17 or 18 years old but then you know life happens and i have three guitars one's chilling in the living room and two are chilling in the bedroom. I haven't picked them up in a while. Oh, and my amplifier is like right there. I haven't picked it up in a while. So I need to.
0: Maybe this conversation will start you back up again.
1: Yeah, maybe.
0: We all have our own process. What is your process? And does it come with any like weird stereotypes or rituals or anything that, you know, maybe we should know about you?
1: So I don't mean to come off as clever or as like a smart answer, but I really don't have a process. I'm not one of those people, unfortunately, I've tried this, but I'm not one of those people that's like, okay, butt in chair, we're going to write for three hours, or we're going to you know, do something for three hours. Tin House was helpful with that with you know, a lot of conversations and, t- and lectures about the writing life that I took notes on that I need to revisit. But honestly, my process is just I live my life. I get up. I make breakfast, I go to work, I'm constantly observing and I'm constantly, you know, in communication with people, given the nature of my work as an x-ray tech. So I'm constantly engaging with my coworkers. I'm engaging with patients. And I'm, like I said earlier, just, I'm just always observing and I'm all, and like the gears are always spinning in my head anyway. I have like, my mind goes like a hundred miles an hour for better or for worse. Do you,
0: do you get a lot of like short stories type, uh, little, little vignettes from your, from your patients as they come through throughout the day?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, because patients are interesting. It's like, it's weird. It's interesting to when you think about like what's involved in taking an x-ray, it's kind of like this very intimate, vulnerable space, you know, my lights on like an x-ray, it's ambient lighting because we have to see what's, you know, we have to see like collimation and like the light field and things like that. And, you know, people are, you know, they're getting imaging because they think something's wrong. So they're concerned, or, you know, it could just be run-of-the-mill stuff, like routine for them. And, you know, like it's just you and the patient and, you know, there's conversation with trying to keep them comfortable. So, you know, like a lot of interesting conversations happen in expert rooms, I've found anyway. But, going, but with my process, if something like clicks in my mind, I'll, you know, capture in my notes app. And I'm a pretty slow writer. Sometimes poems come fast, but that's not the norm for me usually I'll have a fragment and then I'm like kind of like letting that kind of just gel and germinate and congeal or whatever it's going to do. And, you know, I just kind of pursue that impulse. What I also really like to do also is because I capture fragments, I like to juxtapose and kind of Frankenstein poems together because it's interesting how fragments can be in communication. So sometimes I'll just scroll through my notes and you know be like oh like that's kind of a weird leap like what would happen if i put these together and then sometimes poems come from that also
0: oh i like that a lot i that's really cool to see that you're actually looking at those fragments to see where they fit together versus just this okay i wrote this this needs to be a whole new piece how do i do that but when, the idea that you can put those it's kind of that spatial function i it's fun to be able to see those fragments come together And especially know that you didn't write them for not like they were that great line, that great piece. And they're not just going to sit on your phone's app for six years. You're going to find that, that couple for it. I like that.
1: And it might sit on on the app for six years until, and unless some other fragment presents itself at some point, a new thing that I've been doing since Tin House, one of the folks in my cohort, we hit it off really, really well. And we basically are each other's accountability partners. So what we do is we trade prompts back and forth. You know, they might say like, okay, here's the prompt that we're going to do. And we write according to that prompt and we send the results to each other and we talk about them. We're also accountability partners when it comes to submitting. So my accountability partner, surprisingly, like still, because (laughs) they wrote the most incredible poems that I've ever read. And I was shocked when they told me that they had never been published. I was like, how? And we need to correct this immediately. So right. we're also...
0: We can get the plug out of the out here as well. So if there's maybe you know, somebody looking for a, for a poem here, who is your accountability partner, if you don't mind?
1: My accountability partner is Kai Rosenfield. Okay. I, <laughs> and I'm going to have to tell them. I'm going to have to tell them when I get off. It's like, hey, I dropped your name. So <laughs> the universe is going to do its thing because your poems need to be out. Yeah, so we're each other's accountability partners. So, you know, I might text them and say okay, I submitted three poems. You're up. (laughs) It's your turn. It's honestly, having an accountability partner has been a game changer. And that's also helped my process because it forces me to sit down. Even though it's kind of against my nature, it forces me to sit down and write a poem. Yes, I do fall back on my kind of de facto process, if you will, where I'm just constantly observing and then see. And then also we give ourselves the permission May not have to go with the prompt at all because it may send us in a totally different direction and that's okay too.
0: Nice, perfect. What have been your biggest obstacles and pitfalls that you've had to face and how have you dealt with them?
1: Okay, so I'll start with the very first one. I said earlier that originally I thought music was gonna be my career. (laughs) And my mother who was the eternal (laughs) pragmatist was like, no, no, we're not doing that. So I had to figure out what I was gonna do So then when I was about 17 years old, when I was a junior in high school, I had a really wonderful English teacher and my love of English and poetry and literature had started like when I was about 12, but it kind of took a while to get to the point where it was like the recognition of like, oh, this thing has always kind of been there, but this is probably what I should be doing. So at the time I thought the capacity to do that and to do that was to become a teacher. My mother was a former teacher. So I thought, surely, surely my mom would approve of this. And I'll never forget. I told my mom, I said, mom, I know what I want to do. And she was like, oh, really? What do you want to do? I said, I want to become a teacher. And that was an even worse thing to say. (laughs) She was even more upset with me that I said that. She was like, no, no, (laughs) no, you're not going to be a teacher. And I was like, what? And she proceeded to give very specific and a lot of reasons for why that wouldn't work for me, which I didn't want to hear it at the time. Cause I was 17 years old <laughs> and my mom was so frustrated and she was like, get over here. So we went on her computer. We went on the U S Bureau of labor and statistics. It's a governmental agency. Oh, no. My mom's hardcore. Oh no. <laughs> if you re- I mean, you read my essay. So you like, I talked about my mom in the essay. So like my mom is like, like type a, so <laughs> we went on the U S Bureau of labor and statistics. And she, you can pin it to your particular county and your particular state. So Morris County, New Jersey, like we pinned it to that. And there was a real dearth imaging technologist for radiology. And my mom had had imaging studies before. And she said, this is what you should do. She said, you'd be good at this. You don't have a hard time talking to people. You won't come out with a lot of debt. And this is basically like thou shalt be an x-ray tech. And I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> All right. I listened to her and i remember i took an intro to poetry class for pre-rex for x-ray school and i was feeling kind of conflicted I, I felt like i was betraying my original vision of like becoming an english teacher and i thought i would be less of a poet because i was an x-ray tech but then in the intro to poetry course at this point i was like 19 years old we looked at wallace stevens you know 13 ways of looking at the blackbird the very famous poem and we went, and the class kind of went more into detail about who Walt Stevens was, and he sold insurance. That was his vocation. And I was like, okay, this man is selling insurance and writing poems like this. That was definitely like a course correct moment because, and other people have, other poets from the, like the Western canon had different jobs. So oof, I think it's William Carlos Williams was a doctor. Oh, yeah. T.S. Eliot was a banker. Yeah. So they had work outside of academia. And I said to myself, okay, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can do this. So that was the first pitfall that I was able to successfully like kind of get out of to a point when I realized there are, like, it's not just in academia. Poetry doesn't have to be housed solely in academia. And the next pitfall that I'm still kind of currently in is I have a manuscript of poems for a chapbook. I've been working on it for a really long time and it just can't, it's not accepted yet. I've gotten personal rejections. It's been long listed, but it just can't, it's just not there yet.
0: I will ask, is this your, uh, your button long list? Yes. Ah, oh, see, so that was, that's a pretty hefty, uh, that's a pretty good long list, but I, I can see the frustration in them there. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it inspires hope. Don't get me wrong. Cause like I never in a million years thought that would be long listed for Button. I've submitted, I've submitted that manuscript to Button, a different version of it last year. And I was quite unceremoniously rejected. <laughs> <laughs> but so then this year, it, like after going through lots of edits and changes, like for it to be long listed, I was like, okay, like it's okay, stuff's working. But you know, it's hard not to lean into self-doubt and to say, like, well, because my book probably isn't as, doesn't have this quality or that quality, like that person over there, or it's too this, too little of that. Then you start to get into that, you know, internal monologue. And a a poet actually asked me this question because after like in December of 2020, I submitted my book to a contest that I really thought that I had a shot of winning and I was long listed and I was devastated. And I was like, you know, forget this, I'm done. And a poet reached out to me, a poet that I respect, and she let me talk and she was like, all right, like this is a safe space, like say what you need to say. So I said everything I needed to say and she finally asked me a question and I don't remember the exact wording but it was something to the effect of, could it be that you're desirous of an outcome and a path that really isn't for you? And that gave me pause. She said, there are lots of ways. She said, you don't have to take the chapbook route. There are plenty of poets who have never published a chapbook and they went straight for the full length. You can do that. She said, you already have like 20 odd poems. You're like a third of the way there. So just keep working and recognize that your path might be different and you just have to figure out what that is. And that was really helpful. And that also helped me to like mentally make a shift in my mind. And while that's still a pitfall, like I said, because, you know, I have this manuscript and I want it to be, have it to find a home. I had to have a conversation with myself and I was realistic. And I said, Sarah, objectively, what can you say about this collection? And the cynic in me was like, it hasn't been picked up yet. (laughs) And then I'm like, no, other than that, (laughs) other than that, it hasn't been picked up yet. What can you say about this? And it came back to me that I can say objectively that I have that these 20-odd poems are strong because they got longlisted. I can say that objectively. So I said to myself, I evidently worked for these poems. How about I give these poems an opportunity to work for me? Maybe I need to step back a little bit, let them work for me. And what I decided and how I decided to do that was I'm gonna start applying to fellowships and workshops with these poems and let's see what happens. Let's really put them to the test. Let's see what happens. And I started submitting to, and because I wanted to learn anyway, because like, because as I established, I am not an academic. I don't have enough, like I have an associate in applied science and radiologic technology. I don't have a bachelor's. I don't have any of that. So I wanted opportunities to learn. So I applied to fellowships and workshops and I started applying to the first fellowship that I applied to. I was a finalist for. Nice. So I was like, okay, there might be something to this. And then, you know, I became, then at one point, which was like crazy, I was a finalist for the Penn America Emerging Voices Fellowship.
0: That's so amazing. I was like,
1: okay, all right, there must be something here. And then I kept applying to things and I eventually applied for a second time to Tin House and got in. And that was really affirming. So it helped me to see that, like that, what that poet said, that was super sage and loving advice, that the path looks different for everybody it looks different for everyone and I'm glad that things have transpired the way they have thus far because it was beneficial and I just have to keep, you know, keep my head down and work and just see what the universe has to uh, let the universe do its thing, manifest stuff, you know, all that good stuff. Nice. That was a really long answer too. I'm sorry.
0: But that was a perfect answer. I mean, that it's a real answer. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. William Carlos Williams, the Red Wheelbarrow poem, was written when he was on a, a house call to someone. He was telling them they had, uh, he was giving them a cancer diagnosis, and outside the window was the red wheelbarrow, and he kept staring at that. And I love that that idea. And that for you, I mean, as as someone who sees patients all day long and sees them for multiple different, you know, different issues, I have to imagine there's a weight that comes with that sometimes. But no, that was a great answer. And then onto the fun one. Ah, uh, what are you excited about right now in the world of poetry?
1: Okay. So also to plug, I'm really excited that Gabrielle Bates' book, Judas Goat, got scooped by Tin House Books coming at you in 2023. I'm super stoked about that. and so happy for her. So I'm really excited about that. What else am I really excited for? You know, Taylor Bias' chapbook, Bloodworm, came out super exciting. What else am I excited for in the world of poetry? Yeah, people just doing the stuff, winning the awards, getting the publications. I'm here for all of it. I will stand on the the timeline here on the timeline. I'll just, everyone's just doing all the things and I'm just here for it all.
0: Well, we're here for you as well. Um, Thank you. Thank you so much, Sarah with an H for hanging out with us on TPQ20. And we look forward to you in the future.
1: Thank you, Chris. This was really nice. Thank you for reaching out. Thank you. Have a great time. You too. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to TPQ20. Please like, review, and subscribe.